This is the Pivotal Running Podcast, and you're listening to Greg Derbyshire, Chris Grunhagen, and Marty Wimblum. And we are three jackrabbits from two different countries who continue to follow running in the upper Midwest. And we want to discuss important topics, inspiring stories, and extraordinary performances in running. Welcome back to the Pivotal Running Podcast. Today, we have the honor and privilege to talk to Nick Burrell, an Auckland native from New Zealand, Nick received both his undergrad and graduate degrees at South Dakota State University. Running for the Jackrabbits, he earned an NCAA team cross-country national title his freshman year of 1996, and additionally, six All-American honors in both indoor and outdoor track and field. Nick also was the 1999 NCAA Division II Indoor Mile National Champion, where he set the Division II indoor collegiate record of 403 at the RCA Dome in Indianapolis, Indiana. Currently, Nick resides in Christchurch, New Zealand, where he continues to develop leaders of character at the New Zealand Institute of Sport. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast, Nick. How's everything going on on the South Island? (laughs) Thanks, Marty. It's good to see you, mate. We've had a bit of a catch-up before this uh this connection but uh hey look it's so good to, to see a familiar face from uh you know so long ago it's probably i don't know when was it probably close to some 15 20 years since since i've seen you last in the flesh um yeah. so you know i sort of you start to, to miss the old days of of college um as, as time sort of flies on so so quickly um so yeah thanks for inviting me along to, to have a bit of a chat um yeah look forward to you know yeah, a bit of powwow. Yeah, Nick, thanks so much, man. You you really started uh, this journey for me in running. Uh, certainly at our time together at South Dakota State University, you really were a great encourager for me. And I've used that as a great model uh, the rest of my uh, time in the Army. Really, you pulled up alongside of me early in my days at South Dakota State, and you believed in me. So, man, I, I got to hand it to you for you know being just a great example for me to go ahead and take that as a model over the last 20 years in the army, I've been using that same model, man. So thank you so much for the leadership that you had given me, uh, that 20 years ago, man. I appreciate it. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> no. So how did your running journey start, man? How did this whole thing for you get started in New Zealand? Oh, look, it's probably like, it's probably like most, most athletes that come through, Marty. Look, it's a, you try a few sports, don't you? And, and then you, you tend to migrate towards the one that you, you get some results in or, or somebody shows you a bit of passion or shows you, that gives you a bit of faith that, hey, you're quite good at this and then fosters your, your development um, a little bit. So, um, you know, I think back to my first day, I was always quite good at athletics, um, you know, track and field. Um, you know, as a kid, I used to win most, you know, 100, 200, 400, all those types of types of races. And, you know, I felt pretty good on that. Um, I actually represented New Zealand for the first time when I was, when I was 11 years old. Um, you know, we, we, we have something called the Trans-Tasman um, competition here, which is Australia versus New Zealand um, you know, meet for, for young up and coming kids, essentially. Uh, so that was sort of my first, uh, my first foray into sort of, I suppose you could say, hyper-competitive athletics at, at that age. 
Um, and that sort of really sort of made me think, you know, is this something that I want to do and, and how can I develop myself and um, do I enjoy this? And the whole process of, of having to compete and then being selected after the competition um, and then racing against the best Australians. And, and I'll be honest, especially at that point, the Australians were, were a lot better than New Zealand. Um, they really just had some talent that, that came through from those young ages. So um, it was a really good opportunity to get out there and, and sort of um, you know, race the best, I suppose you could say, from, from another part of the, the world, um, although it's close. So that kind of um, was the start for me. I competed in the 400 at that, um, at that youth event. And, um, you know, but after that, I, I kind of fell out of, I fell out of the sport for a little bit. Um, you know, my parents were, were people that didn't push me um, at all in terms of having to play a sport or do something like that. So I was quite free to make my own decisions at, at those young ages. So I, I did drift out of the sport. I got into skateboarding um, in, in quite a serious, <laughs> serious way. That's awesome. Years. It was quite good on the half pipe and the quarter pipe. Um, and doing all the tricks and, and all that sort of stuff um, at that, that stage. But then I got to my first year in high school, and um, it was actually, like I was saying before, I actually had a teacher in my first year in high school that, that sort of said, hey, Nick, you, you've got a bit of a talent in this area. Um, I'd like to try and develop you a little bit. Come join the club that, that I run for. Um, and so I did. And then during that year, um, he took me to the New Zealand Secondary Schools Cross Country Champs um, to compete against the best high school kids in New Zealand um, at that age. And I was probably 13 or something at, at that point. Um, got my ass kicked. I remember, I think I got, 100, <laughs> I think I got 150th or, or something like that in, in that meet. So look, it wasn't a particularly successful foray that, that first time around. Um, but, and then I sort of dropped out of the sport a little bit again for probably another two years during, during high school. And it was only my junior and senior year of high school that I sort of got back into it again. Um, I got hooked up with a coach, um, actually the same coach that, that Greg um, had when he was coming up through the, through the age groups. And it was that coach that, that really started to put some structured training into, into me and what I was doing. He was a, an old Lydiard um, Stowalt, so sort of followed some of the Lydiard training principles, which, you know, I think have been proven to be pretty successful um, at, at this time. And, and so I sort of developed from, from there under him in those last two years of, of high school. Um, and I suppose what really sort of caked it for me at that point was in my junior year, I, I won the, the New Zealand Secondary Schools Championships in the 800 metre um, event there. And that's, that's quite a big, big competition. Um, I bet Nick Willis's brother um, <laughs> in, that, in that title. Um, and then my coach sort of said, what are we going to do next? And we're thinking about the next year, my, my senior year. Um, and that was, you know, let's go for the double. So in that senior year, we went for the 800, 1500, you know, the old Peter Snell double um, and, and gave that a crack in, in my senior year and, and, and won both of those events in my, in my last year of high school. Um, so that actually started to give me a bit of profile and, um, and you know, a real feeling of success and, and how winning feels good. Um, and sort of carried that on. And then we sort of set our eyes for what's next. And so what next was, you know, aiming for the World Junior 
um, championships at, at that time, which are going to be held in, I put in my age here, but they were going to be held in 1994 um, in, in, Lisbon, in Lisbon, Portugal. Um, so we aimed to, to qualify for the World Junior Championships at that point, and um, I was successful and, and did. Um, ran about 149, I think, for, for a 17-year-old um, in the 800 to, to qualify for, for the World Juniors. Um, and the following year went off and, and, and ran at those, ran at those, um, at that competition, which again was the international level, you know, the, the best athletes in the world. You know, we had Daniel Komen, who I saw there, who, who won the 5K and the 10K double um, that year. And Andre Booker won the, won the 1500 that year. Um, a top Australian that I trained and raced with as a youth won the 800 meter. So really saw some some real talent there, um, and so that that kind of you know got me to, to that point. And and you know, those are my junior years encapsulated in a in a few sentences. But um, yeah, that's probably what brought me up, Marty. It was just um, you know just getting into it. I dropped out of the sport a few times, got brought back into it by people that were passionate and saw saw some talent in me, um, and then I just sort of, you know, went from there. It's uh, pretty amazing to, to, to hear kind of that you actually fell out of the sport, but then, you know, for those junior years, the junior, uh, senior year, and then all of a sudden you're at the World Junior Championships, and, and like you, you, you talk, you're seeing guys who are just running at, you know, phenomenal speeds, and, and then you yourself are, you know, you know, breaking 150 and just height as a 17 year old. I mean, that's, it's pretty remarkable to, uh, to hear. So let's talk about your recruitment process. I mean, if you go to world junior championships, there's going to be a lot of probably, you know, interest, I, I, especially probably from America and then to maybe lure you into coming over and studying at the university. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, once I finished high school, I went to university in, in New Zealand and in, in Auckland. So I got into a, a good academic program um, there. And, you know, there were a few options. At that point, New Zealand was starting to put a little bit of development back into, into young, young athletes. And so Peter Snell, actually, at that time, started up a Peter Snell Institute. Um, and that was a, a way of trying to invest in young people coming through and give them some funding and give them some, some coaching support and, and some of those things that go around, you know, any successful athlete. And so, um, so that, that kind of kept me in New Zealand at that point. I did, when I went away to World Juniors, I did get some offers from, from universities um, when I came back. Um, and, but at that point, I actually, it seems funny now, but I actually knew nothing about American universities at that point. I mean, I, I knew nothing about the American system, NCAA, um, it was totally foreign to me. So I, I didn't really know anything about it. So I um, didn't really seriously consider those offers um, originally. And a lot of them were to Division I colleges and, and things like that. Um, but chose not to take them and, and stayed in New Zealand for, for two years um, at that point. But my running kind of really started sort of going backwards a little bit in you know, post-1994 World Juniors, first year university. Um, from that point on, I actually really started losing my way a little bit with running and, and started running not particularly well. Um, I started to lose a bit of passion 
for the for the sport wasn't training probably as hard as I, I, I needed to, to to go to the next level and I actually think if I didn't get the the offer in, in 1996 from from Scott Underwood um, to come to, to South Dakota State I, I probably would have fallen out of the sport um, quite wow. quite possibly at that point. so although I hadn't considered the American system at all up to that point because I was getting into the stage where, hey, I'm not really enjoying my running here. I'm not really going anywhere at this point. Um, hey, this, this opportunity that I got offered through, through Coach Underwood, um, you know, really made me sort of think, okay, maybe it is time to, to take a bit of a risk, you know, go overseas, see what the American system's about. Um, we were starting to have a few more New Zealand athletes. We're starting to go over to the States at that point as well. Um, so I was starting to hear about athletes competing over there. But as you can imagine, again, in, in 1996, there was no internet, there's no real way to research any of these universities. Um, you know, if I wanted to know something, you picked up your encyclopedia book and opened it up and, and that's what you knew about something. So it was very hard to research universities and find out anything about them. Um, all the way in, the, in New Zealand. Um, so I didn't really know what I was getting into. I really didn't know what South Dakota was like. I didn't know anything about the university. Um, I didn't know anything about the history. I really just did it on a whim because I was sort of thinking, I need a change. I need to try something different. And that was the offer that was on the table at that point. Um, so essentially that was the, the, recruitment, the recruitment process. Um, once the offers came through, it's the same as any US-based kid um, that's going to university. I had to go to a school here in Auckland and sit the SAT um, exam to, to get that side of things done. Um, got set my, sent my letter of intent, which I, which I signed and, and sent off. And then I really just had some really good comms with, with Scott Underwood um, at, at that point, who, who called me up on a regular basis and you know, asked how I was doing, um, asked how he could help, was really helpful. So everything I needed, he was really there working one-on-one -on -one with me to try and you know, get everything solved that I needed to, to get solved. Um, and so, you know, I really sort of thought this is, this is a really good coach. This is a guy who cares about his athletes, um, has a lot of knowledge. And at that point, I think he was really trying to develop that team for the 1996 NCAA cross-country champs um, at that point and was looking for some, some athletes to, to maybe bring on board um, to help us with, with, that, with that sort of task that, that we had um, at the end of that year. So that excited me too, um, the prospect of going over there, being part of a team, because in New Zealand, running is certainly never a team aspect generally. Um, there are some road relays and things like that where you can run as a, as a bit of a team, but generally you're an individual and you go out there and you do, do your thing. So the thought of being part of a, a university team and going off and competing at these meets and, and um, you know, with an eye towards potentially winning a national championship, you know, that was, that was really exciting for me and um, you know, made my, my decision at that point relatively easy um, along the way. And as you know, at that point too, you know, this, this offer didn't just come out of the blue um, to go to, to South Dakota State. I mean, we had Mark McEwen 
um, another New Zealand athlete who was already at state. And it was Mark that gave um, Coach Underwood more my details and, and said, give this guy, give this guy a call. He, he could be potentially keen to, to come over. Um, I was actually only the second, the second choice, essentially, to come in. I know Mark had, had given the name of a guy called Paul Amy, who was actually a very good triathlete. Um, and so was a very strong runner and, and a triathlon. And I think he was originally planning on coming over. Um, but then due to triathlon and all the stuff that was going on in that sport at the time, decided that, no, he, he was going to stay put in New Zealand. So, so then the offer sort of came my way. Um, and so um, I took, on, took, took that on. And, um, you know, Mark was, a, Mark was a great runner as well at that point. You know, sometimes, um, you know, I'm sure you'll interview him at, at some yeah. point, but, but Mark had run 14 minutes flat as, a, as an 18-year-old um, in the 5K and he got 24th at the, at the World Cross Country Championships, you know, just 10 seconds behind El Baruch, um that, that year. And so, you know, he had, a, he had a good reputation as well. And I'd known him well from our time in, in New Zealand. Um, and so you know, I was pretty excited to go over there and, and have another Kiwi there and let, let's get this job done. It's really insightful how you, you tell, you know, the recruitment process and, and the fact that you were, you know, you know, getting phone calls from Scott Underwood and really kind of, you know, building this sort of talent based pool of athletes to set forth and try to win a national title. You know, it's one thing to go and, and have all this talent, but actually to making it happen uh, is, is a completely another story. So can you, can you talk about um, some of that, you know, that went on in that the fall of 96, man, you hit the ground running uh, literally and, and started on this, this process or pursuit of uh, trying to win a national title? Yeah, so it sort of all started when that, uh, I showed up for the first time in, in, um, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota Airport, um, and I was waiting to get picked up. Um, you know, Scott said that he'd be at the airport to, to pick me up, um, and I get there, and I'm in the terminal, and there's, there's no Scott Underwood, um, but there is a Tom Henderson. <laughs> Um, and so, so Coach Henderson um, at that point come, comes up to me and introduces himself and says, hey, are you, you're Nick um, from New Zealand. And, hey, I'm, I'm the new coach um, at, at South Dakota State. Um, and I'll sort of, Coach Underwood had mentioned nothing of this. And I think he'd done that very strategically. So I didn't sort of oh, change, wow. my mind, change my mind last minute and decide not to, not to come. Um, but yeah, so, so Scott, so, um, so Tom Anderson's there to pick me up and, um, he had his assistant. So he had a, a pole vault coach, um, was his assistant, Jill, Jill Nutbrock. Um, and so they both picked me up and, and drove me back to, to Brookings. And, you know, then it was really, then it was really just, you know, meeting the team. Um, now, I showed up at, I think, August of, of 1996, and that was right when the Atlanta Olympics had, had just started. Um, so I was uh, lucky enough that Jason Massman, um, one of our teammates on that 1996 team, 
uh, had offered me his his apartment because he was still um, he was still out of state at, at that time on, on on holiday, and so I took over his apartment until the dorms and stuff were open and I could move into I could move into those. So I, I just remember just sitting hours on the end at his apartment, um, watching watching the '96 Olympics, um, cranking away, and, and Michael Johnson winning his his medals and. And all that type of stuff that was going on at that time, and and um, you know, thinking this is this is all pretty great, and um, you know, getting used to the running. So I think, as you can imagine, the the, the environment is probably very different in, in Brookings, South Dakota, as a as opposed to Auckland, New Zealand. Um, so there was definitely a little bit of a, a period of time to readjust to to the environment. Uh, what I mean by that is um, it was a lot hotter. Um, than what I was used to. Um, the humidity was was way way higher than what I was used to. So that, that was a bit of a struggle getting used to getting used to that as a distance as a distance runner. Um, so I had to sort of accommodate to, to that. Um, there was no one else around. So for those first probably oh, probably first three weeks, I was pretty much on my own. Um, Mark was there as well, but Mark was working at Perkins. Um, doing doing his waiter his waiter work at that point, so I didn't see much of him during the day. Um, but really, it was an opportunity for me to, to familiarise myself with the with the university, um, go into the athletic department and, and meet some of the the people in there. Um, you know, find my way around the, the university, talk to the international student um, student advisory um, team members. Um, you know, find out where the track was, the indoor track, all that sort of stuff that was that was going on there. So just familiarise myself with what was going on, um, choose my major, all those types of things that all students have to do. And then it was really getting out and just exploring some of the, you know, some of the trails and some of the some of the running loops. You know, we've all heard of the the Undy Eight and and all these types of courses that were plotted around around the area. Um, so I sort of started to, to learn my way around and just get started with training a little bit. I don't think I really came over probably in particularly good shape. Um, I had a few sort of injuries um, prior to coming over. So I had a little bit of a rebuild that I needed to try and do to, to get, you know, try and get fit um, again at, at that point. But then slowly all the rest of the team started to come back into into Brookings and we, we sort of school started and then we had the opportunity to get together as a, as a team um, under coach Henderson now. Um, and, you know, what was our team vision? You know, our team vision was, you know, November going to Eureka, California, out of Humboldt, Humboldt State University and, and racing against the best, um, the best athletes in the country um, to try and win this national title. And, and look, I'd heard a little bit about the past of SDSU. You know, we had quite a, you know, we had quite a, a successful past in cross country and distance running um, within the state and, and the conference and, and the country. And so it was really good to hear about that. And, you know, walking through the hyper and seeing those pictures of, of some of the ex-athletes and, and, and what have you that have come through the program. And you know, start to set a bit of a bit of a tone for, for what we're going to do here. But um, you know, we had we had a we had a good team, so we met all of those. So we had um, myself on the team. We had um, Jason Massman, who was the 
who was the young captain um, at that time. We had Mark McEwen, my, my New Zealand mate. Um, there we had a guy called Alan Gross, who was from Arizona. Um, he was on the team. We had James DeMarco from, from Alaska was on the team. Um, we had Brian Liebfried um, from Ivanhoe, Minnesota, um, on the team as well as a, as a freshman, along with myself as, as the two freshmen on, on that team. So that, that was the team. Um, and from then, I suppose, I remember thinking, you know, how are we going to train together as a unit so we can you know, train as a team, work out each other's strengths and weaknesses, improve each other as we go forward? Now, what are we going to have to do to do that? And what, the way it sort of worked out was a couple of the guys on the team actually had classes in the afternoon and it couldn't actually make our, our training session at sort of 3.15. So we actually made the decision as a, as a team to train in the morning. Um, so we were sort of meeting at 6 a.m. Um, before, before you know, uni started and, and getting out there as a squad and doing all of our workouts at that time to keep us all together um, and train as a team throughout the, throughout the fall. And again, from, from a guy from New Zealand where it doesn't get colder than, than sort of, um, you know, 40 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, to get up at 6 a.m. in the morning in the, in the fall and winter of South Dakota was, was, was pretty tough. Um, it was cold. I remember having the full face balaclava on and, and the full jacket and, you <laughs> yeah. know, and all this type of stuff, which, which, was, which was just not easy to run, not easy to run in all that gear. Um, so it took a little bit of getting used to and, and doing all that stuff. The other thing that, that Tom Henderson did quite well at that point was we actually had, before uni actually started, we, we had a camp out in Wisconsin. Um, we all went out there for, for a, oh, I can't remember how long it was, it was a few days, um, this little cabin in the middle of nowhere out in Wisconsin, and we we're out there just, just working out as a, as a team, um, you know, just bringing it together and getting to know each other and all that sort of stuff going forward. Uh, Jason Massman was a, was a great captain of the team that year, so, so a guy that, you know, knew what he was doing. Um, had lots of experience in the NCAA and, and was a solid runner um, himself. And I remember his first leadership coming out where we actually had a tempo session that we were doing there. And for some reason, Mark McEwen was getting on Alan Gross's, um, getting on his nerves a little bit during the <laughs> tempo. I think he was sort of smacking off a little bit. And um, so Alan just pushed Mark and literally pushed him off the road into a ditch. Um, as we were as we were doing this, because <laughs> um, he was he was just fired up, and um, and so I remember Jason just stepping in there and just totally dealing with the situation and and getting everyone back and back in line and you know so sometimes it's those little things. You're a team. You got one vision. You got one goal. You want to all be friends, but you know sometimes there's these things that crop up that that you know uh, everyone doesn't always get along. Um, and so the captain, the leadership of the team needs to sort of pull everyone back in and, and refocus on, on, on what our mission is um, going forward. So, so that was, you know, that was kind of the start. And then really from then on, it was just training. Um, it was, uh, you know, meets and, and competitions. Um, going out to the Roy Griek meet at the University of Minnesota was, was a, great, a great meet. It was one of the first for, for me. Um, we won most of the events that we, we competed in that year, um, including our, our conference and the regional. 
uh, races. And, you know, we were getting reasonably confident by the time we, we got to California that we had a, a good shot um, at the title at that point. But that said, you had some great teams back then. You had your Western State from, from Colorado who were just winning basically every year. You had Adams State um, from Colorado as well. So two schools training at high altitude. Um, they were always so, so strong. Um, and those are the teams that I was always warned about. These are the teams that are going to be the ones that are going to beat us on the day if we don't put it all, put it all together going forward. But um, it's one thing to have the talent, right? And you talked a little bit about, you know, if you got all these, you know, talented horses running together, there's going to be some, you know, uh, some, some rough going a bit. And, and you talked about Jason Mossman getting in there, right? you know, being at the point of friction to kind of, you know, make sure that everybody's focused on that same goal, getting the nationals and right winning there. Right. And then can you talk about, I mean, yeah, you got to go to California from probably what 30 degree temperature and, and, and California is still going to be probably 70 degrees. Yeah. Just take us through the national meet uh, and, and right. Sort of the preparation, you probably, you know, even just even environments totally different. So how do you, you prepare for something that's going to, you know, you're going to race in 70 degree temperature. And then, oh, by the way, it's like, you know, uh, Gunnison and Alamosa, you know, those guys, when they come down from, you know, altitude, they have an advantage. Yeah. It's, um, I think it's, you know, we had a, we had a bunch of hard workers, on the team that, that year. Um, and a guy like myself, I'll, I'll be honest and say, look, I think that first year, I, um, I think I was lacking some training direction. Um, I think the coach that we had at the point, Tom Henderson, he was a good guy. Um, he was a great pole vault coach. Um, but I, I started to lose a little bit of faith that, that we had the right programs in place necessarily because we had a pole vault coach as our head coach and we had another pole vaulter as our assistant coach um, on the team. So that worried me a little bit that were we doing all the right stuff? Did we have enough collective knowledge um, as a group to, to, to work with each other? Um, for me personally, I don't think I was a particularly hard trainer then. I think I'd come over with this mindset that, that I was probably better than I was. And, um, and I had this vision that I was an 800 meter runner. Uh, this cross country thing is, is sort of, um, you know, I'll just do it because it's good training. And I was wanted to always do short, fast training sessions rather than you know the long grinding stuff which is so important and I think the other guys on the team were doing that type of stuff I wasn't um, and I didn't have someone to pull me back into line and said hey man this is not the way you trained for a cross-country race um, we need to do much more and, and, and so I regret that that I wasn't able to get into that style of training a little bit more myself personally but for the other guys, they were hard workers. They were twice a day out doing their, out doing their long runs, um, all the intervals. And so they were ready um, to go. So when we got to nationals, look, I think it was just um, we were excited. I think a lot of the guys on the team that year had not even seen the, the ocean before. Um, so it was, um, it was really good. So ticky-toing around California, that part that we were at. 
Um, it's very green. It's a beautiful part of the, of the world, Northern California up there. And, you know, look over the course. The course was a tough one. I remember the course had a really big hill um, that I think we had to go up a couple of times during the, during the race. So it was um, unlike a lot of the other courses that we had run up to that point. And you know, if you come from New Zealand, you know that cross country is cross country here. It's like old English style cross country where you're jumping fences and you're jumping you know, potholes and small rivers and, and all this type of stuff. And it's muddy. And, and um, when I got to the US, we were basically running on golf courses, um, which were almost like tracks at that point. So this, this, this uh, course in California was very much more probably like a real cross country course where it was a bit rougher. Um, had some big hills in it. Um, so we had to sort of get our heads around this new course and, and, and how tough it was um, to get around. So, so we did that, did the little run around the course like all teams do. We had the NCAA dinner, the, you know, the night, or, was it, or whatever it is you do before the, before the NCAA meet, get to meet some of the other athletes. There are a few other New Zealand athletes around the country at different universities as well. So it was, it was good to catch up with them. Um, and then, you know, the race day came and look, I'll be, I'll be honest, Marty, I, I can't sort of, my, my memory is getting a little bit fuzzy back to, back <laughs> to that day, but, but I remember we had all the heavy hitters come out. So I know, you know, Scott Underwood came out, you know, he had built this team. I think this, this cross country victory was essentially his, he, he's the guy that had the vision to put a team together that could compete for, for this title. Um, I know he came to most of our meets throughout the throughout the season and, and gave us encouragement and and um, you know helped us out if we if we need to um, and so he was out there and there were a lot of alumni came out to, to watch and you, know, you could really tell the excitement levels were, were starting to starting to creep up and and this was my first NCAA meet of you know of my time in the in the US at, at this point so we we're all excited for it. And the gun goes, and and you know off we off we go essentially. Um, and I think I'm um, just trying to think back to, to the places we it was the highest scoring total in NCAA history at that time. So I think our winning our winning score was like 123 or, or something like that, which is which is quite high. Um, and you know we had a couple of Mark ran really well, so so Mark was in terrible shape at the start of the season, but throughout the year he really started to build his fitness quite quickly. And by the time nationals came around, he was hitting his strides, and and um, you know he ended up getting um, he ended up getting um, fifth, I think, at at, um, at that race. And then we had um, Alan Gross came in. I think Alan ran really well as well. And it was our second guy home. Um, in about 15th place, somewhere around there. Um, and then we had, um, then we had uh, Jason Massman, probably in the early 20s. Um, we had James DeMarco just squeaked in with a, I think he was the last All-American place, somewhere in the, the, in the 30s, I, I believe. And then I was, I was in the 40s in terms of my place as the fifth, as the fifth runner. So for me, it was a mixed emotions in that, yep, we had just won this, this national title, um, but I hadn't performed particularly well. Um, you know, that placing was not what I was probably hoping for, but in reflection, it's what I probably deserved 
due to the amount of training that I was doing um, leading up to that. And but look, it was it was exciting times. Um, Brian Liebfried was in there. We only took us we only took five six six athletes, and we didn't take a seventh we didn't take a seventh runner on this tour. Um, not sure exactly why, but Pete Gilman was the the unlucky guy who who didn't make the team. Um, to travel to California that year, he was our seventh, our seventh runner, and you know I think you know Pete a few years later did a lot more training and, and ended up running I think a two twenty marathon or, or something like that and qualified for the US um, marathon Olympic trials. So you know he he sort of came back uh, from a walk on on the team that year and did really well, and you know so so we we won we did what we what we wanted to do. Um, we're all pretty excited about it and, you know, set our, set our sort of got our goals for, for that year. Yeah. Thanks for taking us through that, Nick. I really appreciate that. You know, I was uh, a freshman the very next year in 1997 and actually for you, 1997 was a really difficult year and I got to see kind of you struggle through you know, being diagnosed with type one diabetes. Can you talk about some of that uh, struggle uh, from that cross country season and then not being, you know, di- early diagnosed and then right running a, almost halfway through the season and then d- later discovery, uh, later to be discovered that you actually uh, had type one diabetes? Yeah. Yeah. So look, um, I got. Uh, I was probably in the in the country for about six months. We got through that that um, NCAA cross country victory, and then coming into the other side, the start of 1997, um, you know, started having some some signs and symptoms. I suppose that that probably um, not everything was was okay. Um, being a, a typical guy, uh, I ignored most of those most of those symptoms at, at the time, and you know, I was I was constantly thirsty. Um, I was always hungry and poor Larson Commons, I don't think could make enough food for me because I was eating, eating so much, eating so much food. Um, and, you know, going to the bathroom all the time and, and then basically essentially losing a lot of weight. And so what was actually happening was a lot of people were thinking that I was getting into amazing shape because I was just getting so lean. Like I had literally 0% body fat. Um, on me by the time I, I sort of thought a bit more of it. Um, and I went from about 175 pounds down to about 150 pounds um, wow. over, that, wow. over that time period. So I was actually looking quite anorexic. And at some point, some people started sort of saying, hey, are you okay? Um, you know, because it just wasn't probably looking normal. But originally, a lot of people were just thinking I was getting in great shape. And, but my training, the racing just wasn't matching up with that. I was feeling really fatigued, um, couldn't train particularly well, was racing horribly. And so what I decided to do was, well, I'll go to the doctor, um, but more just to get my blood checked for iron. I thought, you know, maybe I'm, I'm iron deficient or, or something like that. Um, so I went in to, to get an iron check done. And then after they, they checked the blood, they sort of came back and said, oh, no, man, you've got... Uh, you got type one diabetes. Um, your blood sugar is sky sky high. Um, 
And so at that point, you know, I had to, and this is where Scott Underwood was actually really good at that point. He, he um, you know, really stepped in and, and helped me out because I'm, I'm a long way from home. Um, don't have a lot of support around things like that. So he took me down to Sioux Falls um, to see the endocrinologist um, down there and get all that side of things all, all sorted out. Um, got put on to, to insulin um, and how to use it and how to test your blood and, and all those sorts of things that, that you need to be able to monitor um, closely. So, so then once that was sort of over, it was come back to, to Brookings and kind of start again, really, and just sort of work out, okay, cool, this is the new stuff that's going on in my life, and, and, but I still want to run. And I was a little bit worried that, that maybe, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have a scholarship on, on the team anymore. You know, I might get sort of sent home or, or something like that due to this diagnosis. Um, but there was never any discussion about that. And, and so it was just time to put, put the head down. And I remember, I remember Coach Underwood, actually, sorry, Coach um, Henderson actually, actually saying, you know, look, this is a good opportunity to use yourself as a bit of a guinea pig you know, and, and try some different things and see how it affects you, see how it affects your, your blood sugar levels, um, see how it affects your performance, try things, tweak, titrate, you know, and, until you get it right. Um, and so that gave me some good confidence. So I'm a bit of a science nerd at, at heart. So it was a bit of an opportunity to, to experiment on, on myself a little bit to see what, what worked. Um, but the, the main the main issues is, is probably most people know with, with diabetes is you're either in the risk of going too high or, or going too low with your with your blood sugars and, and either of those can be very dangerous um, as well as obviously not great for performance. So you're always fighting eating enough food to be have enough fuel for, for training and all those things that you do. Uh, making sure you've got the right amount of medication to, to, to control those, those blood sugars. Um, but at the same time, making sure that you don't take too much medicine and then you drop and go low, which can be even more dangerous um, acutely. So, so, you know, it was just really a real balancing act, you know, between going too high and too low and, and trying to stay on. So in my running originally, the main thing you, you're worried about is, is hypoglycemia or, or low blood sugar because you've taken a bit too much medicine or you've taken it at the wrong time. Um, timing is everything. And so for me, it was a bit of a risk because as a diabetic, the last thing you want to be is out on a run somewhere by yourself and then suddenly your blood sugar drops and you can pass out and, and go unconscious and, and all those types of things and, and, and really there's not much you can do about it. So I was prepared and I had a belt bag and I used to load that belt bag up with, you know, with food and gels and, and stuff that I'd carry around with me on my runs just in case that, that happened. Um, but look, in all honesty, I, I sort of moved it on pretty quick. Um, I got hang of the routine pretty, pretty fast. Um, I think being a diabetic, the one thing that it really affected me, and it probably to this day, it still has this effect and that it made me put on more weight than probably what I would naturally have been. Um, just sort of be a bit of a side effect of taking, taking insulin in, in higher doses. Uh, it tends to put on potentially a bit more muscle mass, but, but also body fat as well. Um, so I always think from that day on, I was, I was a bit heavy to be a runner, in all honesty. So even in my best years there, I was probably about 175 um, kilos, sorry, 175 pounds, which is, it's just too heavy. 
to be a competitive distance runner, really. Um, if you, uh, yeah, you're too heavy. And today I'm, I'm about, um, you know, about 185 pounds um, to, to this day. So um, that makes it quite difficult as a distance runner. So that's probably the thing that, that had long-lasting you know, detrimental effects on me. Not so much the management of blood sugars, um, the one thing that, that does come in is, is races, though. So let's say recently I, I did a half marathon. It starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. You're in this position where do you take your, your insulin in the morning prior to the event? Um, you don't really want to do that because then your blood sugars can dip during the race. And how much do you eat? You don't know. You can't test your blood sugar during the race. So often you don't take anything. But then if you don't take anything, your blood sugars will go high and that will make you feel a bit crappy as well. So you're kind of in this no man's land of what do I do from a nutritional standpoint to compete for, for, for these events. And for the shorter races, like an 800, it's not such a big deal. But for longer races, you know, half marathons or anything like that, it, it can be a bit more of a juggling act um, about how to go about that. But Marty, I, I just pushed on and, um, you know, came to terms with it and just needed to be monitored. I had good support from, from coaches and stuff at that point um, that, that knew about that. But I was a guy that never wanted to talk about these things. Um, yep. So I just wanted to put my head down and, yep. and just basically get on with it and, and try and do my best. Yeah, Nick, you know, this is the, the most I've ever heard you, you know, kind of really describe to me, you know, what you went through. And I, I appreciate it. It's very insightful. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, what it would, what, what it was like, but you actually, you know, led right. The team to the NCAA championships that, that same year, I mean, you managed to, to get things in a, a good enough level to be at the national championships. I mean, and we had to qualify to get there. Uh, in that uh, that rough uh, my, my rough freshman year, I think it came 134th uh, overall. I think it was almost last, Nick. But uh, but I, I certainly remember, you know, once again after my freshman year, you kind of helped me pick up the pieces in my own running. And uh, right, you were you were going through something completely different on another level. Uh, so I remember that summer you came out to see uh, Bellevue, Washington, right, Seattle, and we got to run a in the summer. And, and I think that there is, is you really helped me get confident, uh, some, some level of confidence back in my running. And it was just about, you know, doing the work and being consistent and staying disciplined. Uh, certainly I got to show you, you know, some of the trails that I grew up on in Bellevue and in Issaquah and sort of that, that Western Washington, Seattle area. But, uh, that, uh, that next year in 1998, uh, was uh, it really did trans transform my running, and I was able to actually put two 5Ks together and uh, run in the 32 minutes for 10K. Uh, I know you and Mark qualified for nationals that year. Unfortunately, the team didn't have the depth uh, that first year of Paul Danger's team. Do you want to kind of share your insights to that 1998 team where we, we didn't make it to nationals as a team, but you guys went to Kansas and represented us very well there. Yeah, it was, I think after the 1996 victory, we we're mostly a lot of seniors on the team that year. And so the next couple of years were, were a real rebuilding phase for, for SDSU at that, at that point. And 
you know, as you said, Kenosha was, um, you know, I think we were one of the last teams that, that year. I think we got 15th um, in that year at all the teams. And, um, and then the next year was 1997 at, sorry, 1998 at, at the University of Kansas with a combined D1 and D2 race. That was, that was there. Um, yep, we, we didn't qualify the team that year. Me and Mark both got to, got to go. Um, Mark ran, ran quite well again at, at that meet. Um, I didn't run probably that well. Um, can't remember where I got, but it was back there, back there somewhere. Um, and, but hey, that was, that was a good opportunity to get to the big league, essentially, and watch those D1 runners you know, competing um, and, and see that on the, on the same course and, and just be part of that, part of that bigger picture going forward. You mentioned, you know, Paul Banger coming on sort of in that 1997 year, um, really moving in 1998, um, coming on board too. So I think it was a, a rebuilding year for, for him. And I think, you know, we, we both know Paul really well and I think we, we know his strengths, that, that he's a, a connector of, of people. Um, and I think he did a really good job of trying to bring a team together and rebuild from very little um, and get a team back competitive again within the next sort of five years or so that it, that it often takes to, to build a team um, from, from scratch. And, um, and I think he did a, he did a, a fantastic job of, of bringing everybody together and, and a good team culture um, around him. Gets involved in all training himself. And, you know, I, I sort of really, once Scott, once, once um, um, Tom Henderson left, you know, and Paul came on board, I think there was a real shift in, in the fun aspect of, of being a runner and him coming along and getting involved and also just the amount of support that, that he gave all of his athletes was off the charts, really. Um, and, and I do need to sort of put the thanks, obviously, out to Paul because he supported me a lot um, through that, so 97, 98, um, until the end of my time, basically, at SDSU, really helped me, assisted me um, financially as, as well as just through passion and, and enthusiasm. Um, and so he was a he was a strong coach that was, you know, doing his best to, to build a team again. And I think that 1998 was was basically our low point for a team, just because we only qualified two individuals that year. And for SDSU, that that's just wasn't good enough for us because we know the history of of SDSU and we know how strong we are. Um, and also, probably at that time, we had the the rise of USD as well coming through at that point in 1997 they did they did really really well um and we didn't in 98 they did really well and we didn't do quite so well um and i think that in the interstate rivalry uh, is so strong between those two universities that if one's up and the other's down it kind of sucks to be the one that's down um there so we always had those guys in our in our minds to, to try and try and develop um, and be there but uh, yeah I, I, can't, I can't remember a lot about the racing those years to, to be honest now it's all sort of gone back into the yeah. archives of the brain a little bit what races <laughs> we do and, and all the rest of it but um, I do remember just us building that team again and, and all that goes into, into doing that. Yeah I thought uh, when Danger showed up certainly you know he put himself uh, right in the center and then he gave us 
a ton of empowerment too, not only just 1998, but also 99. And then certainly the, my, my senior year, you know, we got a chance to put a, a solid team to go to nationals and, and we're, was top 10, we got ninth, but uh, yeah, it's just, it was really cool to kind of see the, the transformation over those, those cross country years. Um, let me talk to you about your, you know, I mean, your 1999 indoor national championship, you know, like, you know, the buildup of that season, you know, coming out of the 98 cross cross country season, but now you're in indoor and, in uh, 1999 and, and everybody's coming off a, a pretty good, uh, I mean, fitness level coming out across country. Um, uh, but that 1999 NCAA championship mile, uh, would you be able to talk us through sort of that race? Mm-hmm. Okay. So here we are RCA dome 1999. So yeah, the interesting thing about this race is I'd actually been really sick. Um, the week before this race, so about a, a week prior to, to going, um, I came down with quite a bad cold um, and was really unsure about my ability to actually run um, at, at that meet. Um, at a really high temperature uh, the Monday before. Um, then we went out to Indianapolis and, and I just rested the whole week. I, I just did nothing. Um, took my zinc tablets and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, I really wasn't sure. And I, I did the prelim the day before this race and I felt terrible in, in the prelim. And I think, you know, I, I made it through, got into the final, um, but it wasn't easy, that's for sure. And, you know, and you can see in, in the race here, you can see the Adam State guy got out, got out really quick, um, took it through in, in a really quick speed. I think he's trying to use his altitude to, to drop the other team early. He had a couple of Africans there from, from Abilene Christian who were, who were very solid runners. Um, Carl Jackson there right behind me. He's a, another New Zealand guy that ran for Western State. And then Mark McEwen um, behind him, our other SDSU candidate. So, look, it was good to have two SDSU guys in the same race. That always makes it a little bit easier when you're warming up and, and getting prepared to, to have a familiar face there with you. And, and Mark was, was a solid runner um, over the mile as well as the, the 5K when he, when he wanted to be. Um, it was good to be in the RCA Dome, probably a, you know, a very large stadium um, and quite different from, from what I'd raced in up to, up to this point. But... Uh, you know, it was, uh, you get to the final and, um, you know, again, can't remember huge amounts about the, the build-up for, for the race or, or anything like that. Um, but, you know, just knew I was going to have to have to run quick. But, but again, because of, of being a bit sick that week, I, I took it quite easy in the race. So I actually sat back um, in the field. I didn't try and go out with the leaders um, I just sort of tucked in behind Chad Feldy. He was a guy from USD, and, and I knew Chad pretty well. We'd raced a lot, um, and just thought I'll sit behind him. He'd be a comfortable, comfortable person just to sort of tag off for, for the first few laps and see how it goes. Um, and yeah, you're sixth right now, and Chad Feldy kind of looks back trying to figure out where you are and you're you're right there on his 
on his tail and and then you choose to go right and it's uh it's like you make a decision what were you thinking when you you now in uh in fourth place and uh called uh, was jackson's coming back yeah i think we had about um i think i took off at about 300 meters to to go um and look, I was just feeling quite good at that point. I really came alive in the final and just felt so much better and actually surprised myself because I, was, I was really was, wasn't expecting to, to feel good. Um, but with 300 metres to go, I just felt good. I felt strong. Um, so I just, I just let it go. Um, passed everybody relatively easy. Was surprised when I passed everyone. Um, and then basically... That was it. Um, national title. Uh, wasn't expecting it at, at that time. Um, to be to be you know perfectly blunt, there were some tough guys in that race. They'd run some quick times leading up to that. And you know, for us at, at SDSU, it was quite tough training in the facilities that we had. As you'll remember, we had the D the D-shaped indoor track. Um, and so whether it did make a difference or not, who knows. But, you know, you always felt that when you have to slow down for, for two of the corners to get around that track, you're always wondering, am I doing the work that, I'm, that I need to do? Am I doing the speed work that I need to do to, to win uh, a meet like this? And you always doubted yourself because you, you weren't sure. So, um, but yeah, there's just one of those races where things just came together. There was a little bit of adversity, a little bit leading up to that event. Um, which, you know, I overcame and, and felt good on the day. And, you know, and it was a great race from Chad Feldy as well, the, the USD guy to get to get third in that meet. So I, I think he was really surprised at that. And um, he ran a blinder um, as, as well. So it was, it was good to have another, you know, conference guy um, right there, right there as well leading up to it but uh i'm, I'm proud of that race so I, I i think um you know it's it's one of the you know to get the ncaa title um title as well as the the championship record um in that in that meet was was something i, I was definitely very excited about and, and and proud of um for for many years to to come um with that and um yeah okay yeah, nick that's that's pretty cool man uh yeah, you set the D2 uh, record at 403. Pretty impressive. Uh, right, the uh, the cameraman right drops the camera. It is kind of kind of funny uh, yeah. when you <laughs> the, the, the cameraman. We have got to give him kudos. The, the cameraman's Jason Church. Um, yes, who was who Church. was our pole vault who was our pole vault coach at, at the time there. So yeah, Jason was on camera camera duties and um, <laughs> gave it dropped the camera at the end. Um, so, so yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was a great event and a, a great meet and, um, yeah, still sort of very fondly look back on, on, on that time. Yeah, no, it was pretty exciting, you know, certainly to hear that you had won and then you came back and, uh, everybody was pretty fired up about, well, gosh, we're training with, you know, Nick, right. And if we can hang on or at least stay near Nick, right. We have a really good chance of, uh, doing something special, uh, ourselves. Right. So, you know, we put some things, uh, together there and, uh, and, uh, those last two years together, it's pretty, pretty fun. The, uh, let's talk a little bit more about, 
you know, now 1999, 1998, 1997, 1996, you've, you've had some time now living in the States studying and then training and then racing during the, what, what, perspective would you like share with anybody who's even considering about you know coming to the United States you know experiencing you know the university setting and then also right chasing dreams of pursuing athletics you yeah, look um, you know a bit different from from my time back in the, in the mid-90s I mean today most of New Zealand's top talent um, actually heads over to, to the US quite quite early. Um, we've got the young Samuel Tanner, who races for University of Washington right now, who just set the, set the NCAA Division I record um, and qualified for the Olympics indoors, um, in the indoor 1500. Um, so he's, he's based over there. And look, pretty much all of our top guys from New Zealand all go to the States now um, and compete. So it is seen as the is the best option for, for most young guys coming, coming through now, which, which certainly wasn't what was happening when I was um, that age um, going forward. But I think there's a good reason for, for that. I think, um, I think, first of all, the NCAA system is it's one of its own. It's, it's the, probably the best sporting competition in the world, probably hands down in terms of you know, bringing universities together bringing communities together, having your conferences, having your regions, having the national championships. If you think about basketball and the football and, and those revenue generating sports and the crowds that those, those bring and, and all the community spirit that goes along with those types of events, um, it really is just you know, unbeatable as an experience and as an educational and a sporting opportunity combined. Um, you know, so I think it's um it's a bit of a no-brainer, I think, nowadays to, to head over there. You get your support with your education, you get your support with your food and, and accommodation and healthcare and you know physiotherapy and all those things that that come. But the opportunity to race, you know, top athletes week in and week out um, in different parts of the country is again just such a great opportunity. And, you know, I look favorably back on my days there and really just the traveling with your teammates that are the things that you remember. So just getting in that bus, the bus was parked outside the hyper building, you know, nine o'clock on a Friday morning and off we go for our Saturday meet and we all jump in and, and, and head off to the competition as a, as a whole busload of, of, of athletes. Um, and then staying in the, the hotels and, and competing together and, and then coming home. Um, you know, just such a great opportunity. And those are the things that, that I really, um, you know, really, really miss from, from my time there. The people that you get to meet, not, not just from your university, but from all the other universities that you, you rub shoulders, um, you rub shoulders with. Um, so, you know, those are, those are the things I think, you know, SDSU especially heads into some really nice people people that would just go out of their way to help you, offer a place to stay during the holidays. I had a guy that was, you know, who used to live next to Wendell, who used to live next to, to Coach Danger, um, who used to give me work and give me jobs and, and help me out with various things. And, and there was no shortage of that um, in my whole time there. So 
you know, that Brookings community was was just so so friendly and accommodating to to someone like myself um, coming into into town. Um, you know, for, for, for me, it's um, when I reflect back on those days um, as a coach now as well, I just, um, I just didn't, as I mentioned before, I just didn't train hard enough. And now that's really obvious. I just didn't do the training that was, that was required. Um, and you look at all the, all the talents and all the times that, that young people are running now, um, they're just training hard. Um, and that's the one thing looking back on now is I just wish I had just done a bit more work, um, run more miles, um, not thought that I knew it all at, at that age. And because because I didn't, you know, I just did, you know, too much anaerobic work. Now I know that too much anaerobic work just destroys your aerobic development. And, and then as a middle distance, distance runner, that's, that's everything. Um, you know, all those types of simple mistakes that, that actually really affected probably my development at that point. Um, so that's the, that's, that was, those are my regrets looking back um, during that time. Um, but, you know, that said, what a system, what an opportunity I had to, to go over there. Um, and up to 1999, there were some just some really good experiences that I was lucky enough to be part of. No, that's great, Nick. Thank you. See, uh, so as a coach, uh, certainly you will uh, share the the great things that South Dakota has to offer, right? Uh, any uh, any athletes uh, on the horizon looking at uh, coming to the Midwest, maybe, or uh, maybe even uh, just on the states in the next year. Oh, like, like I said, Marty, it's it's um it's pretty much all of our top guys are all making that transition over there, both males and females. So that's great for the NCAA system. It's probably not quite so good for, say, the New Zealand domestic system. Um, we lose a lot of our talent. You, you think of a guy like even Nick Willis, um, who essentially hasn't been based in New Zealand since you know the early 2000s. Um, so most New Zealanders don't know much about him. Um, what he's accomplished. Um, he's a real, he gives a lot back to the sport. So when he comes back to New Zealand, he does run clinics and he does, you know, meet the kids and, and all those types of things. But, you know, when you take the cream of your crop and take them to another country, you know, they get lost and they're not building the sport in your country. And, you know, they're, they're not inspiring the next, the next generation of young people coming through. Um, I want to be like, like that. So that, that's probably the, the only sort of issue from, from domestically from, from, you know, from New Zealand, for example. Um, but most of our guys go, do go overseas and they, they go to a range of universities. Um, and I'm sure one's in the Midwest or, or wherever it might be. Um, tends to be the ones on the, the West Coast are a little bit more favourable just simply because it's a bit closer to home. Um, it's a direct flight essentially from New Zealand to Los Angeles. So, you know, it's quite nice to have that ability to get home a bit easier. Um, but we have quite a few over in the, in the East Coast um, schools. And you think of all our best runners in the last 20 years, they've all come through the US system um, and been developed there and you know gone on to do great things <clears throat> no that's cool the uh so what are your thoughts on the running world in 2021 with uh with the post-collegiate club systems and and the opportunities 
that uh, certainly are not only here in the States, but also around the world. It just seems like there's a lot more opportunities for people to have a couple more years to, to extend maybe their athletic potential to see how far they could actually go. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, the quality of running is, is so high now um, across, the, across the world. The times that you're seeing now, um, both through developing levels as well as the elite levels are just sort of just going, uh, just going up um, really, really rapidly. So I think that's, that's, great, to, that's great to watch. Um, there's a real running revolution where, you know, running is, is becoming kind of popular again. And I think, you know, last year or the year before in the US, there's something like over a million people did, did marathons, did a marathon. Um, you know, so there's some real popularity there and it's that grassroots stuff which helps make running popular again. And then when a sport becomes popular, then more people want to do it. Um, and then you've got the ability to build up the cream of your the cream of your of the crop as as well as the just the just as an event, um, which is always good to always good to to see. Um, the running times are ridiculous when you when you look at the elites. You know there are just some some times that are just you know blowing us out of the water um, in terms of what's going on there. A young Jacob Ingrickson. Um, and what sort of times he's been running from a, from a very young age um, are, are quite incredible. Um, you've obviously got Chipter Guy doing, doing his thing in the, in the 5 and the 10K. Um, these times are just, just out, of, out of the park. Um, you've got, your, you've got your, um, your marathon times that are coming through, both from males and females. They're just, again, just, just crazy what, what they're doing. Um, so that's all positive for the sport. Um, the sport does have a lot of competition as well at this point. I mean, there are a lot of other things that people can do. And endurance sports in general seem to be something that people migrate to when they get a little bit older. So they get through their 20s and then they're starting to look for an outlet. And often that outlet is endurance type sports. And in New Zealand, especially, we, you know, running is competing directly with sports like triathlon. Um, Ironman type of events are very popular over here. You've got bike races and cycling is very is very popular over here. Um, you've got adventure racing, which with the New Zealand outdoor environment that we have, adventure racing tends to be very popular. Um, so worldwide, I think we're seeing a, a lot of different activities, a lot of different events and sports that, that people can buy into. Um, and so that means that as a runner or as a running event, you have to do things so much better in order to capture more of that market um, that's going forward. So, you know, looking forward to seeing hopefully some, you know, some good new initiatives to, to draw people to, to running as, as an opportunity um, going, going forward. I think um, the New Zealand system is quite different in the US in that we have a club, a club system. Um, so anyone that, that runs competitively in New Zealand runs for, for a club. Um, but there's even a bit of a shift away from that now where there's not so much of a need to, to be a member of a club. Um, you know, you can, you know, most of these big events, you can enter and, and just run um, without needing to be a, a member of a club. So clubs are, are really struggling here in New Zealand to, to get enough membership to pay dues, and many are actually going out of business and going under, um, which is sad to see. 
But, but that's just where our sport is right now and, and the way people choose to spend their money and, and whether they want to be part of a club or whether they just want to do a sport, compete at the odd event um, and, and go from there. Um, the US obviously has some really good, um, I suppose, clubs, you could call them, professional um, training groups, uh, which I think are doing, are doing an incredible job with, with post-collegiate runners. Um, it's not something I had a lot to do with myself, you know, post-collegiately. I, I didn't run for too long competitively after I left, left college. Um, but, you know, I really would have liked to. I would have liked to have that outlet and some way to focus my attention, focus my passion on the sport and, and keep developing um, my skill set at, at that time. And so, yeah, look, it's a, it's a big sport. There's a lot going on. Um, and, you know, as a coach, I just see, you know, I see how it affects young people coming through the sport and, and where it can potentially, you know, send them. Yeah, no, thanks, Nick. This is a very, you know, great insight. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your role in the New Zealand Institute of Sport and, and sort of, you know, you know, for anybody who's in America, right, what it is that, you know, that you all do there and, and then what's, uh, you know, what do you see on the horizon uh, for, for that role as well? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I work at the, the New Zealand Institute of Sport and look, as a, I'm an exercise physiologist by, by trade. That, that's what I have my master's degree in. Um, so I've, I've worked in a, in a range of fields around the sort of science of, of sport and conditioning and, and getting fitter and, and all that side of stuff. So when, when I came back to, to New Zealand, um, after my time in the States. Um, I, I actually started working for the Institute of Sport way back then. Um, and I now manage the Institute of Sport um, here in New Zealand. And, you know, we're actually a, a tertiary education provider, first and foremost. So we um, give degrees and diplomas and, and things like that out to, to students. Um, most of our students, though, tend to be higher performing athletes in a range of sports, so everything from rugby to, to soccer to, to cricket to, to running, whatever it might be, um, they can all come and we can give them the education basically in the sport sciences and sport management fields. Um, and at the same time, we can also help develop them as athletes. So we have training facilities, gyms, labs, um, you know, facilities that, that we can work with, with young athletes to help develop them. So you could almost say it's a little bit like the US system where you go to a university, you compete, they're kind of your club, um, you compete for the university, the university looks after you, they give you some physio, they give you some a gym to work out in, they can give you some testing. Um, so we've kind of mimicked that a little bit here in New Zealand on a, on a much smaller scale, um, the ability to, to give up an athlete in education, but also help foster their, their sport and keep them keep them passionate and interested in it and try and give them that, that all-round support, everything from nutrition to sports science to medical um, to psychology, all those different areas that any athlete needs to, to get better at what they do. So that's kind of the space that I'm in now, and I manage a, a lot of that and, and the people that come through and our academic programs um, as well as athlete development side of things. That's really cool, Nick. Any uh, international students that come, any Americans even that uh, have come over? 
Yeah, um, look, we had an American university come through probably a couple of years ago now. Um, I'm forgetting which one it was. They were from Georgia somewhere, but they had a they had a tour that they came to New Zealand for, and they came through our facility and, and wanted to know a little bit about what we did and how we worked and, and all the rest of it. Um, so I think they're on a bit of an educational tour to find out how education works in, in other countries. And we're a private provider, so you know we we um, we're kind of like a private education as opposed to public education. Um, so we work a little bit differently from that standpoint. Um, but no, not not a lot from the US because uh, the costs to come down to New Zealand and, and get an education are very expensive. So you know again, you're probably looking at twenty thousand dollars a year to to come down here to study as well as all the other costs that would, would be associated with, with studying here. So um, the U.S. has got so many universities itself, there's probably not a lot of point coming down to New Zealand to necessarily do that. Um, but we do get a lot of people from India, for example, um, Sri Lanka, um, Japan, um, you know, a lot of around Asia, especially, we have quite a big um, portal of, of international students coming through from that part of the world. Um, we would like to also expand into Europe a little bit because part of what we do is um, we've got a bit of expertise around sports like rugby. Um, New Zealand are, or they were the, the world champions in, in rugby. So we had a bit of kudos in that space. So trying to recruit people from Europe and England and stuff to maybe come down and get an education, a bit of an OE, bit of an overseas experience, um, as well as as well as get some, some of the rugby um, support through the club system that we have here um, as well. So, but no, no Americans. We just hired an American at one of our campuses up in Auckland. Um, so okay. we've got an American guy that's just started up there as the, he's running the, he's running the campus up there. Um, so he's um, just started his job. So he's, he's married to New Zealander. So he decided to come back to New Zealand and do his thing. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. No, Nick, that uh, that ha doesn't exist yet for a lot of Americans to come over as international students. But, you know, if a bunch of South Dakotans start showing up, you'll know <laughs> what what ge generated that uh, uh, interest. Then maybe this podcast and <laughs> no, that's cool. I definitely got to make it to the South Island and, and certainly obviously your hometown of Auckland as well in the North Island. Uh, and, and you obviously go up to the coast to see Mark. Uh, I think we're trying to figure out the timeline for that, but man, this is so cool. Like just to be able to sit down and like talk to you again, see you. And thank you so much for like, you know, just sharing like the true insight. Cause as a, as a teammate, you know, you real help, you really helped me a lot, you know, during those developmental years in college, man. And and right, your year of uh, running 403, I ran 417. So I got to figure, you know, being, uh, you know, trying to hang on to in, in some of those repeats in the, in the D and the hyper, man, it, it certainly <laughs> helped me. So it was a lot of fun just to see, you know, how, how fast or how, how good you could really be. Oh, it's good, Marty. No, I've got, I've got a lot of people to thank um, from, from my time back there, that, that's for sure. And, um, you know, I'll never forget those those people and, uh, you know, and, and your your sort of hospitality and, and bringing me out to Seattle that year and, and my summer up with, with James DeMarco up in Alaska and in various other places across my time are things I still, you know, fondly remember. 
Um, I certainly wouldn't turn away or change my time in the, in the US um, at all. Um, you know, I, I really still look back on that time with a lot of fond memories. And, um, you know, and people like yourself, you know, I'm looking forward to, to catching up again. I, I have been thinking about coming out to the Jackrabbit invite. Um, oh, yeah. And, and trying cool. to find. I, I come to the US on holiday pretty much every year. Um, so I'm there pretty much every year. So at some point, um, you know, I'll, I'll be looking to try and make my way over in that direction in October. Um, and try and jump in that in that race and see and see how I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll go together. That would be awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, it's great to catch up with you, Nick. Thank you. No problems, Marty. All the best to you, mate, and um, pass yeah. all the best wishes to, to anyone else that you that you run into. Appreciate it, bro. Thanks. Take care. Awesome. See you, buddy. Thanks for joining us this week on the Pivotal Running Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, PivotalRunning.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply would tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Thanks.